0: Thank you, Rachel. Well, good morning again, everyone. A pastor wanted to find out how his church were getting on as living as followers of Jesus. He chose not to test their doctrine or how they were getting on with serving in programs, but he chose for a couple of weeks in a row to describe himself disguise himself as a homeless man and sit at the door of his church to see how his church will get on. Now, he was blown away by the kindness and generosity of the people in his church who sat with this homeless gentleman and showed love and care and interest, offered, offered practical help and offered to pray. He invited him to come and be part of the church service and sit with households. He wanted to see how his people were getting on, loving the least of these what we're thinking about this morning, this first of our values, the lost, the least, and the last. Over the next four weeks, we're going to outline four values that are at the heartbeat of who we are as a church community. They're not doctrinal statements, though faithful biblical doctrine is important to us. They're not specific strategies, because over time, these will change. They're values that shape what is important to us. Ellen's spoken on these before, but we wanted to take some time to focus on one week by week and to consider together how they affect our life together and our life as followers of Jesus, seeking to live for him 24-7. If you're a guest here, maybe you're someone here exploring faith, then listen in, and hopefully it will help you get a flavour of the kind of community that we are seeking to be and the Jesus that we're seeking to follow. We are committed to the lost, the least, and the last. Some of you might note uh, that we often used to use little in this phrase as well. We've made it a little bit snappier, but little is very much part of this, perhaps those who are sometimes the least and left out. This value is not unique to us here at CBC, because like all our values, it's rooted in the Bible, and specifically in the way of Jesus. Now, as people of the way as the early believers were called. We are committed to the lost, the least, and the last. What do we even mean by that phrase then? Well, the words lost, least, and last are based on the words of Jesus, and they come in quick succession in the Gospel of Matthew. Together, they signify those who are forgotten, in need, deemed unworthy, left behind, and distant from God. As we talk about being committed to the lost, the least, and the last, this isn't us and them language, as in all, all of us in some shape or form have and do find ourselves as the lost, the least, and the last. Lost, feeling apart from God, least in need of help, and last, left out or excluded by others. I want to talk us through uh, three passages. Two of them have been read to us. One of them we're going to dive into in a bit more detail. They're all in the Gospel of Matthew. They're going to help us to consider our theme today. And the fact that the lost, the least, and the last, being committed to that is the heartbeat of who we are and what we're called to do and be as a church community. But this is part of the big picture of the Bible. So here, ever read the Red Letter Bible? The Red Letter Bible. So Bible um, one or two. It's a it's a Bible that goes through and highlights in red all the verses that are particularly about the poor, the marginalised, and the needy. And you'll see this theme, God's heart for those on the fringes, the whole way through the Bible. There are over four thousand verses highlighted if you go for those categories. If you're not reading your Bible on your own at the moment, can I suggest maybe you pick up Luke's Gospel? In Luke's Gospel, you see at Jesus' bias, his emphasis on serving the needs of the poor and the marginalized and the neglected. First up then, the lost, the lost. And Matthew eighteen, Cindy, read this passage for us about the shepherd. Now, if you see it in your Bible in Matthew 18, there's a little footnote. Matthew 18:11 isn't included in all our versions, but the exact same words are included in Luke 19 in Zacchaeus' story, and it says this: "For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost." This phrase comes in the context in Matthew's gospel of Jesus saying not to despise the little ones, the children. And he tells the story of the shepherd who goes looking for the one sheep. He's already got the 99 safely in his care, but he goes looking for the one sheep. The disciples here were in danger of self interest only and thinking themselves great being with Jesus themselves. But in this parable, the shepherd, a wonderful image of God in the Old Testament, and Jesus himself in the New Testament claims to be the good shepherd the shepherd goes on an all-out search for this lost, precious sheep, leaving the comfort and safety of what he knew to rescue the lost sheep. And so Jesus left the majesty of heaven on an all-out search for that whom he values, each and every one of us. That's why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the lost, those who are far from him. Let me tell you, that was each and every one of us. Maybe that feels like some of us in the room today. Perhaps today we recognize our own lostness and need of the good shepherd to find us. Each and every one of us is precious to Father God, the shepherd. So much so that Jesus came into this world to search and to save. So much so that Jesus gave up his life so that the lost could say and sing, I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus was committed to the lost, and so we are to be committed to the lost too. Don't know if you noticed in that reading that Cindy read for us in verse 14, Jesus said this, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Do you hear the commitment of father God to the little ones, to the lost? In John 10, when Jesus talks of being the good shepherd, he makes it clear that he came not just for those who would consider themselves God's people, the Israelites, although he definitely came to them. Jesus came to them first, didn't he? But he also came for those who were not of this sheepfold, what you could call the other in Jesus's time, people like the Samaritan, the Roman, and the foreigner. And the good news is that Jesus came for each and every one of us, for all people, for people different to us, for people who we haven't come across yet. There's a whole range of different backgrounds in this room. I wanna just picture the church worshiping around the world today. What a massive range of people from so many languages, so many tribes, so many backgrounds. And Jesus has found and continues to find people who can find a home and hope in him. We're a community that's committed to the lost, that's committed to sharing the gospel with the lost. We were all lost and needing finding by the Lord Jesus. Lost in our sin, in our brokenness, our confusion, our feeling a sense of distance from God, in our doubt, in our questioning, but longing for something, someone special, someone spiritual. Well, Jesus was and is committed to the lost. Maybe you feel lost today. Jesus is committed to you, to you being found in him. Jesus demonstrated this in his ministry by calling a group of lost people to know and follow him. Jesus spent time with the outcast, the lepers, for example. He valued the forgotten, the widow, for example. He called the unworthy. His disciples, who hadn't made the mark at school, and were involved in some suspect trades and revolutionary groups. And he came close to the unapproachable, the Samaritan woman, for example. We too are committed to the lost. Over the years, what we have done and what we will do will change, but we must always remain committed to the lost, to sharing the good news of hope and forgiveness and eternal life with those that don't yet know it. This values our life as a church together. These values shape our life as a church together, but also our lives as individuals and as households. A survey by Scripture Union, this was before the pandemic, estimated that 95% of children and young people don't go to the church in the UK anymore. Well, as part of our commitment to the lost, we're committed to reaching the next generation with the hope of Jesus. It was great to be in one of the local primary schools and one of the local secondary schools uh, this week, sharing the gospel with people in our community. But this isn't a role as a church we outsource to the youth worker. Uh, What I love about this church, this is a shared value. We're committed to the lost. And as part of that, we're committed to the next generation collectively as a church. Many of you here will of, or are currently serving on one of the children and young people's team. Many of you on your front line involves working with children and young people, and we're committed to reaching the next generation for Jesus. As we think about our neighbors or work colleagues or friends, together we can think of so many people who haven't yet found forgiveness and hope in Jesus. As we think about our front lines, those we know who don't yet know Jesus. Let us again catch the vision that Jesus has. Let's catch the heartbeat of Jesus for the lost. Let it stir in us again to pray and to witness and to invite. A commitment to the lost is at the heart of who we are and what we're called to do. I love Baptism Sunday, uh, when we have baptisms together. Here's some uh, from last year in the summer We've got Jamie and Kitty and Georgina, and here are some young adults who found faith in Jesus during lockdown through online alpha as part of that journey, and maybe they could say as well, they once were lost, but now they're found, they found hope, they found life in Jesus stories that bring joy to our heart. We're committed as a church to reaching the lost. And this affects what kind of activities we run and how we do them. It affects how we do services. We want to do them in a way that is accessible to those wanting to explore faith, both online, listening in with us, and in person. It affects the welcome that we offer. It affects the opportunities that we try and provide together to share faith. Things like Alpha, or alternative gatherings, trying to find ways that people can explore faith who wouldn't necessarily gather with us here. This value affects our prayer life, being intentional about witnessing, making sure we're spending time with the lost. And I speak to myself as much to anyone else here. A couple of years ago, as a leadership team, uh, we had a, a kind of a few months where we talked regularly about being intentional, about being intentional, about sharing our faith. And we kind of had a bit of homework, so we were kind of, we had to be on it. So each month, uh, we'd be encouraged to be praying and thinking, God, give me opportunities to share the gospel. How can I be intentional about reaching the lost? And we'd come back and we'd share how things were going. And we tried to celebrate the act of trying, the act of giving it a go, the act of having some courage, People wouldn't always necessarily um, want to come to faith straight away. But you know what? As we tried that, I found that every time I prayed, it wasn't too long after that God made a way for an opportunity for me to share faith with someone on the school run or on the street or playing football or wherever it might be. I dare you to join in and to be intentional about being intentional, about sharing faith with the lost Let's be intentional about sharing faith. As a church, we're committed to the lost. We're also committed to the least. Um, Rachel read to us from Matthew 25. You might want to open your Bible. I'm going to dive into this one a little bit more. It's on page 995. If you're not used to reading the Bible, um, just dive in. I'll point out some verses as we go through. Matthew chapter 25, page 995 in front of you. So In Matthew 25, we see the sheep who Jesus called into his sheepfold at Judgment Day. Jesus is coming again, and it's good to be reminded of that. We can see that in verse 31. He will come as judge on his glorious throne. When he comes, and all will be gathered before him, he'll separate the sheep from the goats, verse 32 makes that clear for us. A shepherd having run his flock together during the day would separate his sheep and the goats. The goats needed to stay warm overnight. And Jesus teaches of the separation that there will be on judgment day, not into families or people groups, but of individuals who will need to give an account of the way they've lived their lives. Perhaps it'll be more comfortable in our tolerant world to think of all being accepted on judgment day But this isn't what Jesus says, nor is it more widely what the Bible teaches. Jesus separates the sheep and the goats into two groups. In this parable, we have a call to love and serve the poor and needy, the least, if you like, in light of the judgment that the return of Jesus will bring. What's interesting here is how the sheep and goats are identified Now, we know that it's by faith in Jesus that we're saved, that we're part of the sheepfold, if you like. But in this parable, there are some clear expectations of what it looks like to be a sheep, to be a follower of Jesus. The parable is not really a judgment scene as each person's identity and their destiny is clear. They're either a sheep or they're a goat. Verse 34, the sheep will receive an inheritance at the end of time. And interestingly, they're described in verse 35 and verse 36 as those who fed the hungry, gave a drink to the thirsty, and invited the stranger in. Those who clothed the naked, looked after the ill, and visited the prisoner. Jesus makes it clear that in doing these things for others, they were in fact doing these things for Jesus himself. In Jesus' coming, he became the least of these. He was the one who himself was despised. He was rejected. He was left out and he was treated horrendously. Now, too, in this parable, he's hidden in the least of these himself. In contrast to the sheep, the goats, the goats, those, are left, those on the left were given no inheritance but instead would be thrown into eternal fire, verse 41. Why? because they'd ignored the least of these, and in so doing had ignored Jesus himself. They didn't feed the hungry, give a drink to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, or visit the ill or imprisoned, verse 42 and 43. Following the same line of thought, Jesus makes it clear that whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. In this parable, we have the contrast between the sheep on the right who were committed to the least of these and would have eternal life, whereas those to the left who ignored the least of these, the goats, would go to eternal punishment. Let me make two points from this parable. First is this, when serving those in need, we are serving Jesus himself. By the least of these, we're given the examples of those who needed a welcome, the hungry, the thirsty, the ill, and the prisoner. There's no case made for each one, no justification as to why they deserved this care and this help. And in reality, Jesus came to each and every one of us when we didn't deserve his help and his care. While we were still sinners, Christ came to us, Paul writes. So in following our saviour Jesus, we are committed the least of these. As we serve the least of these, we are serving Jesus himself. And secondly, serving the least, the outsider in our community, is a mark of true discipleship. It's not an optional extra. In this parable, it was the clear marker of who true sheep were, who the true followers of Jesus were. I was uh, with the men on the men's weekend last weekend. Really good to have Carl Beach with us who was speaking here last week. And one of the things he shared with us is this kind of double conversion. The first, when he comes to discover the life and hope and forgiveness in Jesus that turned his life around. But the second that he shared was the conversion of his heart being broken for the poor and the needy, for the lost, the least, and the last. And so too, We wanna pray and say, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours, for the needs of those around us. When we read a parable like this, an obvious question might be to say, well, is it all about what we do then? Spurgeon asked this. Are we then, after all, to be saved by our works? By no means. Yet are our works the evidences of our being saved? If our actions are such as Christ will commend at the day of judgment, They prove that we're saved by grace and that the Holy Spirit has wrought effectively in us and through us. How we live is evidence that we're followers of Jesus. As James might say, faith without deeds is dead. So we're committed to the least. And again, we do this together. And it will look different for different ones of us at different times. But it's at the heartbeat of who we are and what's important to us. Now, I love being part of this church community. And as I look around our church community, I can think of a couple who spend hours and hours welcoming refugees and practically helping them as they settle into life in the UK and all the challenges that it brings. I can think of teachers and support staff in schools who go above and beyond to include those who so easily could be left behind, those with extra needs. I see families offering a home to children who otherwise wouldn't have one, be that through fostering or adoption. I think of retired members of our church who go above and beyond for their neighbors to show love and care. And collectively, collectively run a cap center, supporting those with financial challenges and sharing the gospel too. We support and contribute to the work of our local food bank, Feeding the Hungry, Heart, Serving the Homeless, In Lunch Club, we look to provide a weekly meal for the elderly who are sometimes isolated and lonely. We've started running a Renew Wellbeing Cafe, offering a safe place exploring that it's okay not to be okay. We value and welcome children and young people who could so often be forgotten, and we look to demonstrate God's love to the little like Jesus modeled for us. This is to name just a few things we do, individually and collectively. We support 16 different mission partners who are committed to the lost, the last, and the least, not just here, but further afield throughout the world. We're committed to the least, and this will remain at the heartbeat of who we are as a church. There is so much need around us. Let's pray, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours, where we are. For some, catching God's heart for the least will result in going to new places to love and serve The least. Now we can't all do everything, but collectively we can make a difference to the least in our community, and we can support believers further afield as well. This must stay at the heart of who we are. It's not an added optional extra for believers in Jesus. We're committed to the least. The question we're helpful to ask ourselves is how we each playing our part in this. And lastly, the last. Finally, the phrase last comes up at several times, but in Matthew 20, in the parable of the workers in the vineyard, Jesus tells a story demonstrating the kingdom of God, explaining the kingdom of God of a landowner who looks for some people to work his vineyard. He agrees a deal with someone at the start of the day and agrees to pay him one denarius, a fairly good wage for the day, and the worker sets off. At nine o'clock and at 12 o'clock, he invites some more workers to come and join in the work. At three o'clock, again. And at five o'clock, he goes to kind of the the market and he says to some people in the market, why aren't you working? What are you doing? They said, well, no one's chose us. No one's asked us. But he invites them too to come and work. Now, it's interesting to note that normally I read, in that context, people will go looking for work. It was very unusual for the landowner to proactively go out after workers. But here we see, we have this scene. The end of the day, what happens? It describes that the landowner pays the workers. He starts with the last, those who started at five, and ends with those that started at the end of the day. Now, the first workers, who'd only been working maybe for an hour or so, he pays one denarius, he goes on to pay all the others one denarius. The ones at the end say, whoa, 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 this isn't fair. Well, the landowner says, well, I gave you what I said I'd give you, didn't I? And the last of those were given the same amount as those who'd worked all day. Now, we could have a whole sermon on this parable. Let me say this. In this parable, we see the generous landowner giving to all, not because they deserved it, but because the landowner, like Father God, is generous and offers his kindness to those who would leave and be left in last place, the ones who were last to be included. In Jesus' day, perhaps could say this would be those who were unemployed, those who didn't have a trade, the children, the widow, the unclean, or the outcast. I wonder who we might consider the last and vulnerable today. Maybe sometimes you feel like the last yourself, the one forgotten, the one whose needs are neglected, who others haven't considered. While well, Jesus came to the lost, the least, and the last, and he comes to each and every one of us. You see, Jesus told the religious leaders that he didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. The church is a place for the wounded, like a hospital. I mean that in two senses, the church is a place for the wounded to be, for the forgotten, the grieving, the hurt, the poor, the confused, the doubting. If you're in, describe yourself in any of those phrases, you are so welcome here, and you are among others who are in a similar place. But I also mean it in the sense that the church is a place for the wounded in that the church is called to be for the wounded, for the wounded, to show love and support and kindness and to speak up for the wounded, speak up for those who so often feel last and left out. As a church, we don't exist merely for the benefit of one another, like a social club, but we're committed, committed to serving and loving the lost, the least, and the last. This is right at the heartbeat of who we are. In our life together, and as disciples of Jesus, we're committed to the lost, the least, and the last. These values that we're sharing are corporate values. And so I've got a corporate prayer that I want us to pray together in a moment. I'm going to pop it on the screen. Just take a moment to read it. Think about whether you can say it and mean it. And I'm going to invite us to stand in a moment. Just read it for a moment. If you're watching with us at home, then do join with us if you can in saying this prayer. Let's pray it together. Father God... Thank you for your commitment to us that we see in the sending of your Son, Jesus. Jesus, we commit to following you and loving you by being committed to the lost, the least and the last. Holy Spirit, help us to do that together and help us to do that as scattered disciples this week. Amen.